How many of you said, that was my guess? Yeah, all of you can raise your hand now, right? <laughs> Genesis chapter 7. In Genesis chapter 7. And once you find that, you can stand for the reading of the Bible. We're a happening church. You, uh, if you pay attention during the uh, offertory to the screen with all the slides, you see that there's a lot going on here. And um, uh, we would encourage you to get involved in that which applies to you and uh, make, make the best of it. Uh, get, get your family involved here at church. Genesis 7, and we'll be reading the first seven verses. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days will I cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of water was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Noah lived during a time of great wickedness. We'll see this in just a moment. And Noah was able to convince his children to buy in to his own faith. What a powerful truth. So tonight we'll look at this topic, the greatest father in the Bible, in the person of Noah. Let's pray. Lord, I ask tonight that you'd help us to understand the Bible. And Lord, this morning as we looked very closely at the truths of motherhood, and Lord, we, we weighed those up against the push of the culture and the society, I pray that our hearts would be open this evening as we consider fatherhood. And God, what a... What a broken thing in our culture in this day and time. I am thankful, Lord, for every man here tonight that has children that is doing their best to be a godly influence. Some men in the room, their children are grown, but they still seek to be that godly influence. Other men, their children are young. And Lord, they want to do it right. And that's why they're here tonight. And Lord, I pray that um, the message tonight would move us all, move all of us closer to an understanding of what you intended when you created dads. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. October 1st, 2017, Stephen Paddock from a Las Vegas window killed 58 people. June 12th, 2016, 49 were killed at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. April 16, 2007, 32 killed in, at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. December 14, 2012, 27 were killed at Sandy Hook Elementary. November 5, 2017, 26 killed at a Baptist church in Sutherland Spring, Texas. October 16, 1991, 23 were killed in Killen, Texas at Lubby's Cafeteria. July 18, 1984, 21 were killed at a McDonald's in San Ysidro, California. August 1, 1966, 18 were killed at the University of Texas. February 14, 1918, or rather 2018, 17 were killed at, at uh, Parkland 
in Parkland, Florida. December 2nd, 2015, 14 were killed in San Bernardino, California. And the list goes on and on and on. Of the 27 most deadly shootings in American history, all of them have been committed by males. All of them. A couple of these, there were women in the background that helped or women who were involved in some way, but all of these killings, these slaughters were led by men. So what is the problem? Is it that God made men flawed? There's a phrase that's become popular in our culture. Unless your head's buried in the sand somewhere, you've heard the phrase. It's toxic masculinity. We're all familiar with that phrase, right? Toxic masculinity. This idea that men being the base version of who they are is nothing more than a caveman. When men resort back to being male, they become toxic. At their worst, they kill people. At their, uh, at best, they, uh, they, they, they just create a public nuisance. And I would say this, testosterone has always been around, but school shootings haven't. And mass murders have not always been as common as they are today. One other thing that these 27, the 27 largest shootings in our country's history have in common. Of the 27 largest mass murder killings in our country, 26 of them, please don't miss this, pay attention here, 26 of them were committed by boys who were raised without a dad in the home. 26 of them. 26 of the 27 largest shootings in our country were committed by boys who were raised without a father in the home. Now, let me be clear. If you were raised without a dad in your home, that does not mean you're going to go be a killer. Okay, there are a lot of women who raise a children, child without a dad at home, and the children, those boys grow up to become Fabulous, wonderful men. All right? But I think when we look at the 27 largest shootings in our country's history, and 26 of them are raised without a dad, I think that alarms ought to be going off. You all agree with that? What is it that a father provides his children that cannot be provided if he's not there? What is the value of an engaged father, father who takes value in his children? Well, for little boys, a boy's basic needs for a dad are someone to teach him masculinity. I'm sorry, I love my wife, she's awesome, but if I wasn't there, my little boy would be a girly little boy. And she knows it. When we were little, when he was, Matthew was little, we had him outside uh, by the uh, garden, and, uh, or the flower garden, and I'm talking to the neighbor, and Matthew's, I mean, he's crawling around on the concrete in his diapers, summer day, kind of in an excluded area. He reaches down and gets a handful of dirt right in his mouth, and uh, Angela wasn't there, and I was very thankful. And uh, he spit that out, and I said, boy, you learned, didn't you? You learned. 
How many times uh, in Matthew's eight years of life have I looked at you and said, just let him be a boy? Just let him be a boy. Moms, let your boys get dirty. Let them get dirty. Let them get some finger, uh, dirt under their fingernails. They find a frog in the ditch. They don't need to shove it in your face, but let them play with it. Amen? Boys need a dad to teach them masculinity. Boys need a dad uh, that will push them not to be a wimp. I've had to look at I've had to look at my boy, and I had my dad look at me and say, "Dry up the tears and toughen up, boy." While I'm telling him that, his mom's got his, her arms around him, and oh, it's gonna be okay. Quit hugging that boy. Don't be a wimp. A boy needs a dad who can be his model. So that he can follow. You see, if, if I'm a man, and I'm a godly man, and I live at home with my boy, I'm showing him how to do life from the time he's little. Boys need a, a, a dad to teach them financial principles. Boys need a dad to teach them how to sweat and bleed and finish the task at hand, even if you've got a little scrape on your arm. Boys need a dad to teach them how to protect the weak and care for the helpless around them. Boys need a dad to teach them how to love a woman and treat her with the utmost respect. Boys need a dad to teach them how to be godly. To teach them how to be tough as nails but have a tender heart toward the Lord. But what about a little girl? Little girls need a dad. Little girl needs a dad to love them. To love them. Little girls need a dad that protects them. Little girls need a dad that will set the standard for how their future husband ought to treat them one day. I've watched a lot of girls dive headlong into a relationship with a boy because deep down inside all they want is a man's acceptance and love. Dad wasn't there to give it to them. Or if dad was there, he didn't give it to them the right way. And they're so hungry for a man to accept them and love them that they just jump into any relationship with anybody that comes along. One time I watched a teenage girl go from one boyfriend to another to another. The man that was my pastor at the time, he said, uh, yeah, 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 the the guy she's dating, he qualifies. And I said, what do you mean he qualifies? She said, well, he's wearing pants and he calls himself a boy. That was all she needed. That was all she needed. Let me just say here, girls, if your dad wasn't there for you growing up, If you grew up without a dad to accept you and love you and protect you and fill that need in your childhood and teen years, then instead of turning some mangy old boy to accept you and love you, you need to turn to your heavenly father and find your acceptance in him. Dads, you play a vital role in the life of a teenage girl. A vital role. I'm thinking of a, 
a couple or of a family where dad was working all the time in a ministry I was in. This teenage girl, nobody here knows them except Angela and I, but this teenage girl, um, she was always in a serious relationship with a boy from the time we knew her from 14 all the way up through, through high school. And, um, and I said to Angela, I said, the reason why she seeks out the companionship and the acceptance and the love from these boys is because she's not getting it from dad. She's not getting it from dad. Dads, if you've got teenage girls in your home, take them on dates. Love on them. Spend time with them. You show them how they ought to be treated. The day will come where they blossom into an adult young lady and they're, they're ready for marriage, but they'll know to look for the right guy in marriage based on how you have treated them. One lady uh, that cleaned the church building where I was a child, her name was uh, Sandra. I'll just call her Sandra. Sandra was a good, godly woman, loved the Lord, but she was in an abusive marriage. I, I never met her husband. I, her, uh, her children were about my age. and um, uh, I remember Sandra had married a man who was just a drunk, an abusive drunk. And my, uh, my dad had told me that uh, Sandra's dad was an abusive drunk. And I said to my dad, I said, why, if she knew the pain of being married to an abusive drunk, would she marry an abusive drunk? And my dad said, well, oftentimes we end up marrying what we're familiar with. We think that's all that we're worth. If my daughter is going to marry what she's familiar with, then I want her to be familiar with a man who treats her with the utmost respect and care. I want her to know a dad that treasures her for the jewel that she is. And I want her to marry a man that's going to treat her the same way. Again, some of you girls here tonight, you didn't have that. But don't you settle. Don't you go marry some guy who doesn't know how to treat you. Don't you go marry some guy that isn't going to respect you. You find a guy that loves the Lord with all his heart because you're valuable to God. And don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. Many fathers today are absent from the home. Absent from the home. Their boys act like their mother because dad isn't there to tell them otherwise. And their mother doesn't know how a man is supposed to behave. Many fathers that are present inside of the house have a shallow relationship with their children. A shallow one. They come in the door, they've given all their energy at work, they're exhausted, they collapse in the chair, and 20 minutes in front of the news station, they're asleep in the chair, and uh, they don't want to be bothered by the children, and so they slip a, a piece of technology in the children's hands and send them off to their room so that they're not bothered. And that I say, do not give your best energy at work. Save some when you get home, and give it to your family. This evening, I believe that just as Noah got his children to live righteously during a wicked time, a dedicated father can do the same in today's sinful world. I believe that a father who walks with God and desires to rear his children the right way can find biblical teaching and examples to help guide him and show him 
the right way. So let's jump in tonight. I'm going to give you four powerful parallels between Noah and fatherhood in the day and age that he lived and the day and age that we live. All right, let's jump in here to the outline. Number one, notice the adversaries of a godly father, the adversaries of a godly father. Quickly here, letter A, notice societal ignorance, societal ignorance. Look down with me at verse one and two of Genesis chapter six. Let's let the Bible do the preaching for us this evening. The Bible says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. If you mark in your Bible, underline those two words, those last two words there. They chose. They chose. So here you have a bunch of boys that are uh, born to the sons of God and they're looking at the daughters of men and they're not looking at the inward beauty of the heart. They're looking at the outward countenance. They're looking at how uh, pretty a girl is by her physical uh, features and they're choosing to marry based off of that. Now, uh, the question has been argued in college dorm rooms as long as there has been college dorm rooms. Who what, who were the sons of God in this passage? Who were the sons of God? Some would say, well, these were the these were the offspring of angels. I don't have any evidence anywhere in scriptures that angels procreate. So I have no evidence to believe that this would be that. So you say, well, then who were the sons of God? This is my opinion. The Bible doesn't tell us. But my opinion is that these were the descendants of Seth. These were Seth's Children, okay, so Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, okay? Cain kills Abel, and then Cain is vanished. He's pushed away, he's pushed out. Uh, Adam and Eve then have Seth. And so probably Seth's descendants, what we know about Seth is that he was a good, godly man. Then who were the daughters of men? Probably Cain's descendants. Probably Cain's descendants. So here you have the righteous with the unrighteous. God wants the righteous to stay married with the righteous. He does not want the righteous to fiddle around with, fool with the unrighteous. Okay? Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, turn over to Romans chapter 1 for me. We're going to go there in just a minute. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness. The idea of being unequally yoked is that you're putting uh, uh, two animals that are not the same in the same yoke to do work. And in a sense, that's what marriage is. It's taking two people and yoking them together, combining them together so that they can go through life accomplishing a whole lot uh, for the Lord here. And God says you should not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. A Christian, a believer, has no right getting into a marriage with an unbeliever, and that's commanded clearly here in Scripture. Now, uh, if you notice the subpoint there, it's uh, societal ignorance. Societal ignorance. I want to shed some light on why I picked uh, uh, that for a subpoint. Look at Romans chapter one. After we read this, we're going to go back to Genesis six. Look at verse twenty-one. It says there, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Notice that imaginations This is going to come along later in the message here. And their foolish heart was darkened. 
So they knew God, but they chose to glorify him not as God. They uh, became very unthankful or they were complainers. They became vain or empty in their imaginations. And as a result, their foolish hearts uh, were darkened. Verse 22, look at this. Professing themselves to be wise, they became ignorant. They became fools. They became foolish. They became uh, 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 vain and foolish in their thinking. They proclaimed themselves wise, but they were really a bunch of fools. Verse 23, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so what happened here is you had a group of people, they knew God. God the right way, but they chose to ignore God. They chose to worship themselves. They chose uh, their own desires. And as a result, there's this downward slide into foolishness and sin and corruption and vain imaginations and everything uh, that goes along with it, including the destruction of, of the home, the destruction of society, and even, we'll see with the flood, the destruction of all of mankind, with the exception of eight people. And so, what happens when we know God and we ignore Him? What happens when we know God and we choose to marry those who uh, are not uh, uh, on the same page with us spiritually or not on the same page with us when it comes to heaven or or really both? Uh, What happens there is we set ourselves up to have our own home destroyed, our own home destroyed. Now, societal ignorance. This dads. So this is a message for you. This is the day and age we live in. This is the day and age we live in. People make their choices based on what makes them feel good. You say, well, they're ignorant. They don't know better. Well, we've gotten to a place where we are willingly ignorant. All of the, and I'll speak in colloquialisms here, but all of the STDs that float around, there's a really easy way to fix that. But nobody wants to hear it. Oh, you're just an old prune. They even suggest that. Prude, I guess. To suggest that. No, it works. It works. When you leave uh, those things for God's plan, guess what? All of those diseases just seem to go away, don't they? They just all go away. Societal ignorance. We're ignorant on purpose. We're ignorant because we choose to be. And I'm not talking about we, us. I'm talking about we as a culture at large. And listen, you're raising children in a day and a time where people are making choices of their own volition and they're bringing great destruction on their uh, family trees. They're bringing great destruction all around them. And then they want to shake their fists at God and say, how could you let this happen? And I'm here to say to you, my friend, that if you're going to be a godly dad, this is what we're up against today. Letter B, we see social pressures, social pressures. Look at uh, verses three and four of Genesis six. The Bible says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that. He also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Uh, there were giants in the earth in those days. Look at verse four giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, where uh, when the sons of God came in under the daughters of man and they bare children to them, the same look here became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. OK, so what do we see here is that you have sons of God marrying daughters of men. You 
take the most handsome man you can find and the most beautiful woman you can find and you put them together and they have a baby. And oh, my goodness, we have a designer baby. Does that sound like anything going on today? Designer babies? I'm talking about a mom who's expecting twins and decides to abort one and keep the other. I'm talking about a woman who goes and checks to see what the gender is of the baby. And if it isn't the gender they want, boop, chop that life off. I'm talking about people that are going as far as using scientific means to mix genes and get the perfect hair color and the perfect eye color and set that child up to where he or she will be a certain height or a certain boned structure. And listen, what we're doing is we're getting together and we're making these decisions based on the outward appearance, even the intellect. The intellect, it says that these were men of renown. These were intelligent folks. These were people with high intelligent quotients, if you will, and they were making these choices based on those things. And so that got me thinking, what are some of the pressures that we deal with in in 2018, the social pressure? So I'm going to take more of a lighthearted approach to this to begin with. We'll come back to the series in a minute. Um, In the the 1980s, what was the social pressure? Everybody had to be mad. Mothers against drug driving, right? Everybody had to be mad. And um, big hair... And boomboxes, right? I mean, you were in style. If you had big hair, I wouldn't have had a chance. I'm glad I live now. Um, Big hair, and you had to have the big boombox on your shoulder. Then we roll into the 90s. The 90s, that was the PC decade. When I say PC, I mean personal computer. How many got your first personal computer in the 1990s? I mean, just a just, okay, a few of you. That also meant politically correct, the PC decade, right? Um, that's where political correctness really began to kick in. If you go back and listen to some of the not so godly music from the 1980s, that woo, you talk about the Me Too movement, offending a lot of people, offending a lot of people. That whole movement into where we're at today, that really began in the 90s. How about between 2000 and 2010? Listen, by 2009, if you were still carrying around a flip phone, everybody's looking at you like, you need to get with the program. You're lost. I'm not surprised, Mike. Um. I remember in 2007, Angela and I were walking into a Spanish service on a Thursday night church we were married in. One of the ladies there, her husband's well-to-do, she had the first-gen iPhone. It had just come out. And I looked over, and, and Angela's like cleaning the drool up off her chin. She's, oh, I, I want one of those, right? Um, uh, but by, that was 2007. Can, can you believe that smartphones have only been around 11 years? They've become such an integral part of our lives for most of us, except Mike, uh, for the rest of us. Um, But um, uh, that was the social pressure. How about this decade, the the, the teen decade, 2010 to 2020? I put this down. Food allergen pressures. 
I got to be careful here. Everyone has a food allergen, it seems like, or at least a food sensitivity, right? And some of that is real. I'm not implying that it isn't, but some of it isn't. Come on, folks. Um, and I'll let you decide whether your situation's real or not. I'm not, I'm not going to be the judge. These are meant to be lighthearted, but, but each of these decades has also seen social pressures that have not been so good. The 1960s, we threw the Bible and prayer out of our public schools. Funny, the very next year after Bible and prayer were, were thrown out of the public schools, teenage um, uh, suicide rates skyrocketed. Teenage pregnancy rates skyrocketed. The very, very next year, 1970s and 1980s, divorce numbers spiked. I mean, spiked. It went from tolerating each other to the grave to, you know what, everyone else is getting a divorce, I'm sick of you, let's go get a divorce. And now, the 1990s and in the early 2000s and even up through today, kids don't even get married anymore. You know, they just move in with each other. And it's this idea that, you know, you don't buy a car before you... You drive it around the block a few times. You know, you've got to kick the tires on the old car before you buy it. And I, I, I need to live with this person to see if we're compatible. And my friend, that, that's straight out of hell. That's wicked. What's happened? Look, if mom and dad are going to get a divorce, I don't want to go through the, the messy pain of the courts and, and all of that. We'll, we'll keep our money separate. We'll live separate. That was the 90s and the current, but, but, there, but now that's been taken another step. You see, Satan will move what's on the fringe into the norm, and then something new appears on the fringe. Then he slides that into the norm, and something else appears on the fringe. And when we took uh, a divorce off the fringe and made it the norm, living together moved on that fringe. And then we took... Then we took um, living together off the fringe and made it the norm, and now homosexuality became... The French. We've moved that to the center. Folks, there are all kinds of things appearing on that fringe now. All kinds of things. Polygamy, incest, all kinds of strange things moving on that, on that fringe. And I, believe you me, uh, uh, those things will get moved into the center if given enough time. Satan is working hard to tear that down. And we're in a place today talking about uh, uh, social pressure. We're in a place today where if you do not 100% celebrate the LGBT movement, then they will come at you and condemn you. There is no middle ground. You can't ride the fence. You're either all in or all out. And if you're all out, boy, they're coming at you. And they'll preach tolerance at us. They are the least tolerant group on the planet. They can't stand people like us. And the truth is, if someone walked through that, those doors right now, if two ladies or two men holding hands walked in those back doors right now and sat down, and they had sincere hearts and they wanted to come and hear the preaching of God's Word, they shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. They are welcomed here and we will love them here. We're not here to belittle them, berate them, make fun of them, but I'm going to preach the Bible. Social pressures. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Tonight's about fatherhood. I'm, I'm trying to help you understand, as a dad, what you're up against. Letter C, notice, spiritual bankruptcy. 
spiritual bankruptcy. I'll, I'll be uh, uh, quick here, I think. Genesis 6, look at verses 5, 6, and 7. It says there, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, there's that word imagination we saw in Romans 1, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Just a couple generations before, the boys were labeled as the sons of God. And now they're so wicked. They're so wicked, God's going to destroy all of them off the earth. It repented him that he ever even made Adam. It, 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 it grieved him that he had made that choice. The world around Noah had become so spiritually bankrupt that nobody was doing right anymore. Luke seventeen twenty six says this, And as it was in the days of Noah, or Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Let me say this this evening to you dads. Please listen on this right here. Philosophically, there are two ways to raise your children. In this world, you can follow the model of Abraham or you can follow the model of Lot. What did Abraham do? Abraham looked over and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. And I believe that we are approaching Sodom and Gomorrah levels. I really do. But Abraham looked over and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. And he saw his servants. No doubt those servants had children that he was responsible for, making sure that they were protected. He would have his own children one day that he would be responsible for protecting. And Abraham looked over at Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, we're going to stay over here and keep that over there. Lot, the Bible says, pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then he went from waking up every morning looking at it to sojourning, passing through it, till eventually he became part of it. And guess what happened to his children? They all became wicked, wicked folks. Now, we can flirt with the world. I'm talking about as a parent. We can flirt with the world by watching its TV shows, taking in its movies. There are G-rated movies that are innocent and clean. Watch those with your kids. I'm not bashing all TV. But can we be honest tonight? 90% of it or more... You're flirting with the world by putting that in your kids' eyeballs. Use a lot of wisdom. Be very careful there. We flirt with the world. We hang out with people who aren't Christians. My friend, you're following Lot's model, and your children are going to be ruined. I remember my sisters when um, I was going to school. We were going to Christian school, but we had carnal kids in those Christian schools. My sisters just never really seemed to be pursued by the guys. And, and Marcia, you know at least one of my sisters. Some of you here know, um, know uh, my sister Frances from, from uh, uh, the ministry up north there. They're both very, very attractive young ladies. I say that uh, with, with, with total appropriateness. They're my sisters, but they're pretty, pretty young ladies. They weren't not being pursued because they weren't pretty. 
They were not being pursued. Brother Drosa, you know both of them. They were not being pursued because they were not like the other guys in the school who had a carnal mindset. And when you raise your children in a way that is free of carnality, that loves God, those uh, people who uh, are thinking differently, they're not going to want to have anything to do with your boys or your girls. And your boys and girls are not going to want to have anything to do with them. And that is up to you, Dad, on what you're going to allow in your home and in your own heart and through your actions that they watch. Raise your children like Abraham. Do not raise your children like Lot. The world around us is spiritually bankrupt. You need to distance yourself from it. You need to keep yourself from it. You don't need to flirt with it. You don't need to entertain it. You don't need to enjoy it. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Spiritually bankrupt. Number two, we see the attributes of a godly father. Look at Genesis 6, 8 and 9. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Letter A, notice integrity. Integrity. Noah was a just man. That word just means pertaining to being a person in accordance with a proper standard. Pertaining to being a person in accordance with... With a proper standard. That same root Hebrew word that's translated just here in Genesis 6, uh, 9 is translated innocent other places in the Old Testament. Innocent. And uh, I, I think of that verse in the New Testament that says that we are to be innocent concerning evil things. That doesn't mean we don't know about them, but they're foreign to us. We're not dwelling on them. I'm talking about dads who lead their home with integrity. Was in a, uh, a a men's group men's meeting one day, and a man well, we were talking about this very topic. And a boy or a young man raised his hand who had just been married, and his name was Mark. And Mark said, uh, "My dad taught me about integrity when I was a little guy. I went out hunting with him, and my dad uh, uh, saw a a deer in the distance." And in the distance, it was a long ways away, he thought it was a buck, and he raised up his gun, and he, he shot the, the, the deer, and he dropped it on the spot. When we got to the deer, he realized that he had shot a doe and not a buck, and he was not allowed to shoot a doe that day. He said immediately, after we had taken care of, of, of uh, what we needed to do with the, the, the deer, we went and found the game warden, and we paid the fine. He said, my dad taught me that we're not going to run from the game warden. We're going to be honest and upright. I think about a dad who backs out of a parking spot and maybe goes a little too far and hits the car behind him. Maybe scrapes the car next to him. You know what some dads do? They look both directions and they take off. And you forget you got little eyeballs in that back seat watching you. You say, Pastor, what should you do? You should get out and you should write a note with your name and phone number. Quick explanation of what happened. If they're not around, you stick that underneath that windshield. You know, those little eyeballs are watching you. They see. They see. They see when you come to church and act like a Christian and you go home and you live like the world and you cuss at everybody in your path. They see that. They see that. And that is the biggest turnoff to Christianity, to your children. I'm talking about dads that walk with integrity. Let her be. Notice improving. Improving. The word there in Genesis 6, 9 is perfect. Noah was a just man and 
perfect. We've talked about that word perfect many times in church over the tenure of my pastor. But that word perfect doesn't mean he was without sin. It meant he was where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. Or it meant mature. Uh, It's the idea of a guy sprinting from one uh, touchdown uh, line, one goal line to the other. And uh, he's going to run 100 yards in 10 seconds. Then at the 10-yard line, he's at one second. And at the 20-yard line, he's at two seconds. At the 30-yard line, uh, you look down at the stopwatch, he's three seconds. And what's he doing? He's constantly maturing and growing and improving so that God will continue to label him as perfect, as perfect. This is a dad who uh, uh, his children, when they see him, uh, the children understand that, uh, that 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 father is allowing the Lord to do a work of improvement through him. Listen, my children, if anybody in this auditorium knows my weaknesses tonight, they know my shortcomings, they know my sins. It is my wife and my children. They watch me at home. They see me up close. If you uh, if you really wanted to get the scoop on me and you uh, paid them enough money, they might just tell you. Don't do it. All right. But you know what I hope they see in their dad? They know where my shortcomings are, but you know what I want them to see in me? is I want them to see me on my knees asking God for forgiveness. I want them to see that from one year to the next, Dad's getting better. And Dad's getting better. And Dad's getting better. Your children, like mine, they don't expect a, a perfect father. They do expect a father with a tender heart toward God, who is quick to apologize to God when he does wrong, and quick to apologize to those little ones in your home can't tell you how many times I've sat down on the edge of one of these two little ones' beds and I've said to him, Daddy blew it today. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? You know how humbling it is for an adult man to sit next to a, a six-year-old child and apologize? They're not looking for me to be perfect. They're, looking for, they're not looking for me to be flawless. They're looking for me to be mature in the Lord and the heart to improve. And your children are looking for the same thing. Letter C, let's look at interactive. It says there in Genesis 6, 9, that Noah walked with God. You know, Satan wants to achieve anarchy. He works to teach boys that they should rebel from and against authority. On a very practical note, Dad, you be careful about how you talk about the police to your children. You go to a sports game or you're watching a sports game on TV, don't you talk down the umps and the refs. Say, oh, come on. They they are the authority on the court. And when you tear down one authority, you're tearing down all authority. We are praying hard about starting a Christian school here at our church. I'm going to tell you something. As someone who grew up through the Christian school system from kindergarten through college grad, uh, as someone who's been a part of churches that have had schools, as someone who's had a dad who's been a Christian school administrator my whole life and still is one, let me tell you something I see all the time in that structure is the parents tear down the teachers. When you tear down the teachers, you're tearing yourself down. Now listen, I had teachers blow it with me. I had teachers mistreat me, and my parents knew it, but they never, ever, ever let me run the teachers down to them. And they never, ever, ever, ever uh, went and berated the teachers in front of me. They had a way of handling it in a way where authority, uh, I was explained and understood, authority was not perfect, but authority nonetheless should be respected. 
Satan wants the opposite. He wants anarchy. He wants rebellion. He wants children to run uh, uh, away from authority. And uh, uh, they, he, uh, these are the mentalities he, he has in mind. Uh, uh, he wants uh, your children uh, to live by the, their own set of rules. He, uh, it's a if it feels good, do it mentality. It's a YOLO. You only live once. And so live it up and have a good time and make the, fe- the best of it. It's a we're going to a def- Defy authority, and we're going to deny God by defying God's book. Deny God by defying God's book every way possible. How do we overcome this in a wicked generation? We overcome this when our, by having children that see us as fathers submissive to God. I want my child to catch me occasionally read my Bible. Catch me on my knees praying. I want that child to see that my heart is malleable and submissive to my Heavenly Father. Well, he sees that Dad can be submissive to God, but strong in every other way. And my children say, leadership isn't bad. Authority isn't bad. It's good. It's good. Interactive. Interactive. Dad, can I ask you a question tonight? All the men look up here at me for a minute. Do you you read your Bible every day? Do you have a time of prayer? You you can't can't expect your wife to walk with God if you're not walking with God. You you sure can't expect your children to love God if you're not going to love Him. Number three, we see the attention of a godly father. I've got to move quickly here. The attention of a godly father. Genesis 6, 11 through 22, we won't read it, but there God uh, pulls Noah to the side. Well, let's just look at 11 and 12. The earth also was corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with violence. I could park there on violent video games. We'll move on. Verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Violence, corruption. God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He goes on and tells Noah from 14 through 22 that he's to build an ark. And he gives them very, very, very clear instructions. Notice letter A, his work. His work. Mankind was created to work. If you're a man today and you're here, you're of the male gender. God created you to go to work. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. God placed Adam in the garden to keep it. Work was around before the fall. Work's been around during the fall. Work will be around when we go to heaven and the fall is no more. We're created to work, to work, to work, to work. I know that is a dirty four-letter word to a lot of people today in 2018, but W-O-R-K, work! And our, our men need to teach our boys what it means to work. Noah got up every day and he built a boat in his backyard a long ways away from the water. And it didn't look like it made any sense. He was riddled, made fun of, put down, but he did it because God had commanded him to do it. And listen, to those of you in here that are detail-oriented, you got to love the fact that God is detail-oriented. <laughs> you want to talk about detail-oriented. Read the instructions there. And Noah followed every one of them. It's a good thing he did or he just sank. 1 Timothy 5.8 
But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, this is speaking to the man, he, he, not she, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. His work, letter B, his workers, his workers. The Bible does not tell us that Noah's children were involved in building the ark, but logically deducting, it would seem to make a lot of sense. Dad, your son needs to see how hard you work. He needs to see your work ethic. Your children are going to learn work ethic two ways. All right, write this down if you're taking notes. The first way your children are going to learn a work ethic is by watching how hard you work. You are setting the standard for them when they're adult men one day. The second way that uh, you're going to teach your children a work ethic is by involving them and forcing them to work. You know what your children are? They're the same thing mine are. They're lazy. You know why my children are lazy? Because they have a dad that in his flesh and in his base state is a lazy man. But don't give me that look like, what? Because you're the same way. We're all lazy in our nature. Get your children out there and work them. Let your boy cut the grass. Put your daughter to work washing the dishes. Or get them out in the yard and let them rake the lawn as well. But work those children. Teach them what it means to work. Hey, children, when your mom and dad put you to work, uh, turn the game off. Turn the phone off. Turn the tablet off. Turn the, the TV off and get to work. And don't fight them on it. And all the moms and dads said... Amen. Number four, the accomplishments of a godly father. I hasten the accomplishments of a godly father. Letter A, their master. Let's, let's see here what the end product was for Noah as a father. Genesis 7, 7, and Noah went in, speaking with the ark, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now, um, those of you that love to study the doctrines of salvation, you know that Noah's ark is a picture of Christ. The pitch is a picture of the blood, the atoning blood. Um, by his sons getting into the boat, they were saying that they were part of this radical movement. And when I say radical, I mean radical to the society. They were saying, well, everyone else mocks dad for building this boat and getting in it. We're in. By getting into the ark, what they were saying was, we are accepting that dad is right about God. Don't you want your children to believe, dad, that you've been right about God all along? What they were saying was, dad, we are embracing the faith, your faith, and we're making it our own. Let her be, notice their marriages. Their marriages. Look at verse 7 there again. It says, and Noah went in and his sons and his wife, so his sons got in, and his son's wives with him into the ark. To me, this is the most marvelous part of the story. Do you understand that when those girls got on the boat with Ham, Shem, and Japheth, they got on the boat and they left all of their family off the boat? 
Do you understand that these girls that were married to Hamshim and Japheth, uh, they, they had to turn their backs on their families and leave their families to die to get on those boats. Now, while I can praise those girls, here's what I'll praise. I'm going to praise Noah for teaching all three of his boys how to pick a woman who would stand by their side when they made a decision that didn't seem to make any sense. Noah taught his boys decision-making principles. That's what we need are men to say, look, I'm not going to make the decision for you. I'm going to teach you how to make decisions for yourself. When your little ones are little, they ought to do what they're supposed to do because you tell them to do it. But when they hit those teen years and your teenager says to you, why? Don't just say, because I said so. They're asking why. They, they need you to explain to them why. They need to be able to develop the thought processes behind. They need to understand your decision-making principles so that when they hit adulthood, they can make the same decision principles. I, I'm not going to choose uh, April's husband and Matthew's wife one day, but I sure hope that I can teach them principles that help them to be able to discern in another individual whether or not they're worthy of marriage or they fit the mold of a godly partner in marriage. Let her see and lastly notice their morals. Now, the problem with picking Noah is that one incident. You all know what incident I'm talking about, right? Some of you are thinking, Pastor, you can't pick Noah. Genesis 9. Well, let's talk about Genesis 9 real quick. Genesis 9:22. So they get off the boat. Waters come down. Rainbow... Right, you get the, the sacrifice, and then Noah lets his guard down. He grows a vineyard, and he gets drunk. And when he gets drunk, he, uh, he goes and lays in his tent naked, and uh, alcohol drives you to do some pretty foolish things. Should have never gotten drunk. Look at verse 22. And moms and dads, don't worry, I, I'll be careful. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and, and told his two brethren without, Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backwards and they saw not their father's nakedness. So Ham walks in the tent, sees dad's nakedness. We don't, look, I'm just going to say this, we don't know what happened there so I'm not going to try to invent things. The Bible is vague and we're going to be vague, okay? Uh, He came out and uh, Shem and Japheth, they had enough morals, to not go in and make fun of dad. Now you say, well, well, okay. Well, do you remember just back in Genesis 6 how wicked and vile the world was? These boys grew up in a world where you wouldn't walk in backwards with a blanket and cover up dad. You'd go in and make a fool out of him. That's not what they did. You know why? Because their dad had taught them right. They had some morals about him. Two of the three did. They went in backwards, they covered dad up with a blanket, and they protected, they protected their dad from any further embarrassment. Listen, it's, it's hard to find a dad in the Bible that raised all three children perfect, and Noah's no exception. We see that Ham blew it here. But I'll say Noah did a, a fine job of getting his family on board. I had people tell me when Angela was expecting Matthew, they said, you guys are brave to bring a child into this world. It's wicked out there. It's wicked out there. And i got to say, it's probably harder to raise a child to be godly today than it was 100 years ago. But, sir, if you walk with God and you do your part, you can do it. 
Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I felt like tonight was a little bit of shotgun style. We were on a lot of different topics when it came to fatherhood. And so, Lord, there's probably something for, for everyone. But, Lord, I pray tonight that you would allow your word to show us where we have an area of improvement we would seek to improve. Lord, there are some young ladies here and even some older ladies here who long so deeply for a partner, a man to love them. God, I beg you that they would not settle. But Lord, they would look for a man who loves you. They would look for their acceptance first in Christ and then find a man who loves you. And then, Lord, for our men here who are single, may they look for a woman that's a Hannah we talked about this morning. Lord, I pray for the dads that are here tonight. May we step up our game. May we be men of integrity, men that seek to improve, and men that are interactive. Would you help our church to be filled with families that are doing their best to have homes that are biblical and honor you? Show us where we need to change. and May we be submissive to do so. Work during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. As the piano begins to play, how about it tonight? Will you come and talk to the Lord about your home? Will you ask God to show you the right way? Men, will you commit to be dads that love the Lord? Love your children. Raise a godly family in a wicked age. Will you commit to being Abraham and not a lot?